Several weeks ago, I was walking in the mountains. And I got this desire inside of me to, it, it's hard to explain. It's not getting closer to Jesus because you just can't. He lives inside. But trying to get to know him in more of a real way, it's interesting that we never stop there. It just continues. And it's like that voice from John 1 where he says, come and see. And that's taken from John chapter 1, verse 39. And that's really the title of this message is come and see. In fact, we're not going to do the traditional way of going through six verses and scrutinizing them. This is it. This is it. And the mind, my mind just and heart just went. And uh, as I was thinking about this, because see, in my understanding, at least in my experience, when I'm connected with Christ. And whatever that may mean, but when I know that I'm connected with Christ, everything kind of flows from there. You might experience that. And so as I walked back home, I, I wanted to do some research, and there was um, a little article by John Eldridge. And he was talking about the different personalities of Jesus. And one of the personalities, as he was discussing this, was uh, the playfulness of Christ. And so you remember several weeks ago, I taught on the playfulness of Christ. And I, and I talked to Seth about it, and Seth says, Oh, yeah, John's got a book, uh, Beautiful Outlaw. I says, why didn't I know that before? Would it help me in my study? But we taught it anyway. And so I went ahead, and I wanted to wait a week before I purchased the book. And I just purchased it, and I just got it a couple of days ago. And I thought, well, if it's a good book, I'm going to purchase two or three copies. So there is two or three copies in back if you want to purchase it. But it's interesting because he goes through the different personalities of Jesus, and it's kind of resonating with me because that's kind of where I'm at. And so I opened up the textbook, and something just caught my eye. And he said this, if we can put it up on the slide here. He said, our experience of Jesus is limited most often by the limits that we put on him. And I was thinking about that. And, and this is one of the things I've been just researching and going through in my own personal life. Not yours, but mine. I am sure that I have blind spots in my, my life. I know I do. And I know that I've got blind spots in limiting, limiting Jesus as he works in me. And once again, whatever that may mean. And I don't want those blind spots, but they're going to be there. There is a parable. 
And this parable is short. This parable is a little bit silly. It's, it's more perhaps of a child's story. But yet there's a profound lesson when you think about it. You see, there was this guy. And he decided that he was going to board himself up in the house. And so he sealed off the windows. He boarded up the chimney. And he boarded up the doors. And there was one opening in his home, and that was the kitchen window. Over the years, this fella came to a conclusion. His conclusion was that the world was such a place in which people only spoke through the kitchen window. That is going to be the most effective way to speak to the kitchen window. So his friends would not enter the house, but they would come and stand in the grass. And they would communicate to this guy through the kitchen window. Years went by, and he became convinced that this is really how you're to do it. So he wrote a book on communication. And he wrote that this is how you communicate is through the kitchen window. After he died, passed away, they built a school. And they called that school Kitchen Window School. End of story. Silly. Simple. And yet the lessons are huge, aren't they? When you really think about this, and I pondered it, and I said, should I even share this? Because it's kind of a simple children's story. But sometimes our theology and what we believe is through the kitchen window. See, the, the, the lesson I think that we can learn in that parable is that we have a certain experience. And then when we get locked into that experience, it becomes the only way to experience that. Whatever it may be. You see... When we experience some kind of teaching on God or how we're supposed to teach the message, how we're supposed to pray, how to receive answers to prayer, and we may go through that experience, but be careful because that could be through the kitchen window. And you're not open to other viewpoints. See how that is? And, that, and sometimes that becomes a setting in church. I took a course back in my days in college. And uh, I loved this course. It was anthropology. Dr. North was my professor. And he was brilliant. He loved anthropology. As I did. And we would discuss anthropology together. And he, uh, 
You know, anthropology is just a study of humanity in their culture. How do you function? How does this tribe or this culture live? What's their thinking? How do they become human in that setting? And so that's a very high interest of mine. And so I dug into it, and we had our textbooks and everything else. And uh, at the end of the semester, he said, okay, we're going to write a term paper. And I want you to choose and pick a people group. It could be anybody. It could be anything. And you're going to study that people group, and you're going to come to understand how can I relate and involve myself in that people group. And so I chose the Kamut people. And the reason I chose Kamut, which were a jungle folks out of the northeastern part of Thailand, it's the tribe that I grew up in for nine years. And uh, at that time, they were primitive. At this time, they got a road. Times have changed. But I was excited just to go deeper into the culture that I grew up in and began to study this tribal group. And I talked to my father, which is an anthropologist himself in many ways. I would interview, I would question, I would research, I would do all this stuff. And I thought I was really writing a great paper. I was just following my heart. I was being practical. How can I get into this tribal group and be practical and relational to them? It was fun. I enjoyed it. A lot of work. So I handed in my paper, and uh, I was excited to hear what Dr. North had to say, what his comments were. Well, he called me into the office one day, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be poured with accolades. And so I go in there, and I could see that his heart was sunken. He was a little bit sad, and he said, have a seat, Gordy. <laughs> okay. Pour it on, baby. Woohoo! Get the applause. And he says, Gordy, your paper was good. Your paper was accurate and it was honest, integrous, and I'm not disagreeing with you. But you did not follow the textbook. And so I have no other choice but to give you an F. Hey, I'd be happy with a D, you know? So he gave me an F. I was wrong and he was right. But see, he was looking through the kitchen window, which is proper. That's academics. I didn't understand the assignment. I got so caught up with my own personal of how to relate. It wasn't wrong. It was right. It's probably the way to do it. But I didn't follow the instruction, the kitchen window of how to do the assignment. And so I ended up with an F. He said something very interesting. He said, Gordy, there's some kids, and you're one of them. You go against the academics. You don't mean to, but you're just wired that way. I said, bingo. I think religiously, I think spiritually... Academics, the kitchen window, it's proper. 
many times. When we're talking about your life and my life in a spiritual sense, the kitchen window is often there and it hinders our own thinking and experimentation and freedom to go search. What is it that I really believe? Because the problem that we can have is we're afraid to be open. This is, what, this is how I see Scripture. This is how I see God. This is how I see things. And we're afraid to be honest because many people have a kitchen window view. It's the only way you're supposed to see it. And that's why we have denominations. That's why we have a lot of different churches. It becomes... A hindrance to us. These last two years have been difficult for a lot of you. It has been for me in many ways. And yet you will, some of you, not all of you, will say it's been very, very good. And I think I can say it's been very good for me. It's been hard. It's been rough. It's been tough. And I've learned to practice some things that, and go deeper into some things that I could not before. It's brutal, isn't it? When your pride shrinks. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened to you. It happened to me. I didn't think I was egotistical until these last two years, and I thought, okay, my ego just being brutally beaten up, you know. And that's hard. That's why you're going to hear me say a lot, I don't know. I don't have answers. I got my life and I got answers from my own experience. But really, I don't, I don't really know a whole lot. That was God calling He says, you're right on, Gord. <laughs> you finally got something right. Okay. That was a quick re reply, wasn't it? <laughs> so I got, this, I got this pastor friend of mine who, he texted me this, this uh, interview. And he did not realize that I was already reading Beautiful Outlaw from John Eldridge. And this interview was this, this guy who was leading the podcast, and he was interviewing John Eldridge, who's a professional counselor. And he was asking him how he approached or how he sees things from these last two years. And it's interesting that he calls these, these times global collective trauma. And I'm not going to get into it, but it was fascinating. Because, see, he talked about a lot of things that I sort of experienced, but he's talking about we don't realize. We say everything's good, but there's trauma that we've all been through. And he says there's, there's that sense of memory loss. I'm thinking, <laughs> anybody identify with that? I mean, I forgot I was supposed to even preach this morning. No. <laughs> but there's that memory loss. That's part of that trauma. There's, there's a lot of results in that. 
There's depression that takes place. There's fatigue that takes place. There's anger toward other people. And folks, people sometimes, they don't want to behave like that, but they don't realize that this is trauma, what people have gone through. It's been traumatic. And we get short with our temper. We get short with God. We get angry with God. And and there's a sense of not wanting to get with other people. And there's case after case where you get a text message and you're afraid to open it up because you may have to be responsible for something. This, there's so many different things that have happened to us as humanity, and this is all over the globe, and this is why he calls it the global collective trauma that's going on. It's a lack of creativity. And he talked about pastors, how it takes twice, if not three times longer to write a message. I told Barbara, okay, now I got it. <laughs> I have some of those things that I'm going through, and I thought I was the only one until I talked to other people, and they said, I'm going through the same thing. And there's a darkness. And people are facing these things, and people are getting angry, and they don't realize This is the result of trauma that is happening inside of their life. And you know, sometimes you're not even healthy enough to even work on it. That's what's scary. Scary, isn't it? It's a lack of motivation. That was me. I'm still dealing. I'm still working through it. I love to be human. Do not put any title on me because we're all the same. We all got issues, all got problems, but you lose that motivation. And so the question in this podcast as he was being interviewed was, so what do we do, John? What do we do with all of this? And his response was something that I've been teaching for two years, and I'm not teaching it to you. I'm teaching it to me because I believe it with all my heart. You've got to take care of your soul. Not somebody else's, but your soul. Somehow, and there's not a step, there's not a formula, but somehow there needs to come that, to that time where you are taking care of you in a spiritual form, in your relationships, physical, mental, spiritual. Your whole being, take care of it. It may be taking a walk and talking to Jesus, maybe devotional. There's something that you need to do perhaps to take care of your soul. And the people that aren't taking care of their soul are making some huge, huge choices that aren't good for them. And a lot of times, they can't help it. There's a lot of things going on, folks. And, and, and he talked about this is why there's a rush out of churches. This is, he knows a guy that was for 40 years walking with Jesus and just, I'm done. There's a lot of things that are going on we can't judge because people are going through hard times. The only thing my message is take care of inside. Because if you don't, that's where you crash and you're going to burn. And it's going to look ugly. And in time, when you become healthy, you're going to look back 
and you're going to greatly regret some of those things. So, Joe sang this morning, God is good. I don't know how she does this. Because that's one of the things John was talking about. We've lost the goodness of the great shepherd, that God is good. That's part of it. There are so many different things. And if we could just follow the good shepherd just the best that we know how without putting limits on him. Because, you see, he may reveal himself by coming not through the kitchen window, but by another means. And if you just are looking through the kitchen window, this is how God's going to do it. You may miss something that is incredible in your life that's been always there. I call this the season of discernment and revelation. Somewhere, I probably heard that somewhere. But I began to think as I was writing through this, this is a season of discernment. You're discerning the times. You're discerning where people are coming from. You're discerning where I'm coming from. And I'm not totally healthy. And you realize that God is revealing his love through, I think, supernatural ways that people have never seen. I really believe that. And you know me. I'm not a sensationalist by any means. But I think that there's a real movement that is happening globally as I begin to listen, as I begin to see, and these people are not sensationalists. Many of these people are scholars. Where the revelation of the love of God is meeting people that would never, ever see God's love. It's happening all over the world. People didn't even believe in God. It's just, it's just that revelation that they're saying, man, God has always lived inside of me, and he's speaking to me. And the coolest thing about this, and some, of it, some people have called this the awakening, but the coolest thing about it is nobody's a leader. You're not looking at a Billy Graham. You're not looking at this person. It's just happening, folks. It's just happening. In the midst of all this hardness, toughness, Depressive times sometimes. So don't be discouraged. But, 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 but I, I, think, I think some of us, though, you know, for me, we, we see this love of God being revealed to us more and more, maybe through the Bible and theology. I love the scriptures. I love studying the scriptures. I love teaching the scriptures. And I love theology. I don't like Bad theology, because I've read enough bad theology, but I like good theology. Speaking about the love and the grace of God and getting deeper into that. But if I'm not careful, that becomes my kitchen window where I think everybody needs to do that. See how that is? How about some may have this mystical experience, this mystery. And they connect with Jesus in a certain way, and they can't explain it, but something is happening inside of them, and they can't put their finger on it. Maybe it's that solitude moment where you're quiet, and you just have a perspective of the Lord speaking inside of your heart. And you can't explain it because it's not religious. It's not a church-type thing, but something is going on inside of you. There's a hunger. There's a drawing. 
And perhaps you've been raised in a different tradition where you connect with Jesus and, and, and you're just sitting cross-legged. And I can't do cross-legged, but man, God bless you if you can sit cross-legged. And you have incense. And there's that calming effect and you get connected with Jesus. That's wonderful. Isn't that great? Some of us are into yoga where your body it just begins to calm and you're peaceful and you're, and you're thinking things through. This is, this is the moment more than any time where when you're exercising, stretching, you feel that connection, a spiritual connection, and it helps you to forget the past, look forward to the future. And we had yoga up here. It was the most beautiful thing. Now, people that were looking through the kitchen window, yeah, they said Creekside had demons because we had yoga. We got to get over that. It's okay. Let them. I don't want us at Creekside, I don't want myself, I got to take care of myself, to not look through the kitchen window, but be open. And there's nothing, it was so great. Now, I couldn't walk after the yoga, but it was so fantastic, man. The, our instructor put on our worship music, talked us through, calming us down about the peace and the love of Christ as we were stretching. It was the most, it was absolutely wonderful. But if I was to look at things in the old traditional way, you know where I'm going. Some of it is musical worship. But if we're not careful, that can be a kitchen window. This is the only way. For some, it's nature and mountains and forests and landscapes. And as you hike, there is this calm and this peacefulness. There's so many ways that Jesus wants to connect. But sometimes we limit him because we're the ones who put limitations on him. Maybe God has spoken to you, but you say it can't happen. Sounds too silly. Don't put boards in the house of which you live inside. There's more than the kitchen window. There's a lot of windows. There's a lot of doors. And Jesus is going to minister to you. We can, if we can just get our arms around the personality of Jesus, we're going to see him showing up in our life in ways that we could never imagine. I believe that. There's a, there's a story, and this is found in John 1, and it's, it's about a guy named John the Baptist. And we call him John the Baptist. That's not his real name. The Baptist is not his last name. It was John. But he was different from John the Apostle who wrote the, the, the letter of John. And he did a lot of baptizing, so we just called him John the Baptist. And what's interesting about this is that, that he went out into this desert called the Desert of Judea. 
We know a little bit about southern Utah where it's, it's a desert. And so he would go there and he would start preaching. He was kind of a different fella. He wore clothes that were made of camel's hair and he had, had a leather belt around him. The food that he ate was locusts and wild honey. I don't know if that's the only thing he ate, but that's what it says. And so people went out to hear him. He, be, he, he was a, a person who... Uh, People followed, and he had a lot of disciples. And so let's pick up that story. In verse 35, chapter 1 of John, the next day John was there again with the two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, and turning around, they saw them following No, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? This, this is funny. This is funny to me. John the Baptist was teaching and preaching and and talking about the Messiah, about the Christ coming, and all of a sudden, here's the Christ, and what does John do? He says, guys, look, that's the Christ, the Lamb of God who's going to take the sins of the world away. And he says, that's the guy. That's the guy to follow. And they look at John, they said, dude, he knows, so I'm going to go and follow Jesus. And so they run after Jesus. This is the crazy thing about it. As they were following Jesus, they stopped, and Jesus says, what do you want? And then they don't, this is so crazy, they don't say, well, are you the Lamb of God? Nope. Are you the Messiah? Nope. No question like that. Are you the Christ? They didn't ask that. You know what they asked? Where's your crib? Where do you live? Are you serious? Are you serious? I don't have an explanation for that. I think God would just be playful. And so Jesus responds in verse 39. He said, come and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. Come and you will see. Jesus is talking about more than just the location. He says, come and spend a day with me and you will see. And this is what blew my mind. This is what just captivated me. You see, if we broaden our understanding of who Jesus is, how he interacts with me, we're going to see him more and more. Several weeks ago, I went out and I, and, and I said, I'm going to be aware of this moment. I'm going to live in the moment. Now, if you're anything like me, you have my brain waves, that doesn't last very long because I get sidetracked. I get distracted very easily. But I said, I'm going to focus today. I'm going to walk. And my head was down and I was looking at the soil. I was looking at everything. And all of a sudden, I mean, really, this was weird. It just popped into my mind, this image. As I began to see all the rocks, they're different colors, different sizes, different shapes. Some were embedded in the soil. Some were lying on the surface of the soil. And I thought, oh, my goodness. 
I'm just seeing Colossians 1 where it talks about, and he is the sustainer and the creator of all things. And, and I began to see us as rocks and Jesus as the soil. And that all of us are connected and we come from the source of Christ. And I was blown away. It was a playful moment for me. But it's just sent chills at me and I'm thinking, how simple and this happened several weeks ago, and I didn't want to share anything because I thought, this is kind of stupid. This, but you know what? He ministered to me in that moment where we're all connected. We're all connected somehow, somewhere. I was writing this, I think it was Friday night, thinking about just that experience and many others and all of a sudden, I heard chimes. And I'm thinking, okay, did Barb buy some chimes or something? And they're just because there was a little breeze. And I looked, and I said, no, there's no chimes. And it was clear. And, and I'm hearing these chimes. It was beautiful. And my thought went to Zephaniah where it says, and God sings over us. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, are you singing through the wind? Are you just blessing me right now? I think he was. So I went outside, and I thought, okay, where are these chimes coming from? And they were coming from the dance studio. But it was so awesome because right in the moment when I was doing this, you know, the, the chimes began to go off. And, and then I came in, and, and I began to see just different symbols. I wasn't even looking. I was, the sun was about ready to go down and I looked to the west and I'm seeing that there's that cross. You see the two windows and the, and the two windows beneath that and you see the white. That's a symbol of the cross. You see the cross there and there's crosses all over the, the, the doors and I'm thinking, we're just blasted with love. But we don't see it until we are looking for it. So the other day, I wanted to be playful. I was going to go look for hearts. That's your assignment this week, students. You will get an A. Just look for a heart. And I began to see some hearts in a stone. Now, if I was to show you a stone this morning that I think is a heart, you'll say, Gordy, that's a square. No, it's a heart. So if you're looking for something, sometimes you see it, and you begin to see some rocks that are forming the heart, and God is speaking. Sometimes you see a heart in a leaf. Sometimes, sometimes it's, um, it's in the clouds. You can see a little, it's a rough-looking heart that the clouds were formed into a heart. Thank you, Lord, for that. And sometimes he gives you a heart, but it's not in the form of a heart. It's maybe a word from a friend, a quote from somebody. See, Jesus is going to break into our lives in ways that we don't expect. Look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17 as we wrap this up. For in him all things were created, things in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things, this is the point, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things in him, in him, all things hold together. Probably one of my favorite in the last year or two, that verse. 
You see, it's not, it's not like children in, my, in back of my house that have this wand and they're blowing soap bubbles. And what happens to the soap bubbles when, you, when the children blow? Sometimes you think Jesus the wand and he just blew you into being and you're just a bubble that will fly away disconnected with the wand. And your life will just be gone. It's not what this says. That's not Jesus. We say, well, Gordy, that was stupid about finding hearts. God doesn't do that. He does do that. He does do that. See? Because that is God. And he will break into your lives in ways that you don't expect. As, as Joe comes up in the worship band, let's just, um, I, I want to give you one quote. Pretty simple, isn't it, this morning? Pretty profound, though, in some ways, isn't it? If you really take it to heart. John Eldridge says this, If you learn more what Jesus is like, you'll start to experience him in new ways. may not be my way. It's okay. You'll be free. You have to be free, folks. Figure it out. What is it that I believe? Take a lifetime. You're already loved by the Lord. You're already accepted. But look for it. Look for the love. It's everywhere. But he says, if, if, you, if you learn more about Jesus, or if you learn more what Jesus is like, you'll start to experience him in new ways and see him more, and he will become a reality for you. Here's a prayer. It's a prayer and a confession and if we could put that up, and, and if you want a copy of this, I think um, Abby and Beck can, can show you it, or you can take a picture of this. She can put it up on the screen, or not, whatever you want to do. But it says, I renounce every limit that I have ever placed on Jesus. Listen, when, when you say things like that, that doesn't mean, oh, now I'm all of a sudden perfect. We're talking about a process that will take you until you die. Seriously. It's, it's, it's hard. It's tough. Because I will, even though I know this and I studied it and memorized some of this stuff, it's like, hey, check on me at 3 o'clock this afternoon, and I'm going to put a lot of limitations on him. Okay? It's a learning process. I don't want to do that, but it's learning. I renounce every limit that I have placed on Jesus. I renounce every limit I have placed on him in my life. I break all limitations. Renounce them, revoke them. And then he turns it into a prayer. He says, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me for restraining you in my life. I want to change that word forgive because he's already forgiven you. You're good. It's, it's more of a thing of, okay, I'm kind of embarrassed because you're the creator of my soul. And I feel bad that I've restrained you in my life and I want that to, to change. And so I give you full permission to be yourself with me. Isn't that cool? 
Not what Gordy says, not what a pastor says, not what a theologian says, or all these. I want you to be you in me, Jesus. I want you to be you. I ask you for you, for the real you. May the grace of God and his peace be with you through this week. God bless you.